0: Everyday Martial Artist is brought to you by KOOnline.com for all your martial arts needs. Sparring and safety gear, rank belts, uniforms, weapons, patches, and more. Wholesale supplies made by martial artists for martial artists. Visit us today at ko-online.com. Hello and welcome to Everyday Martial Artist. I'm your host, Brian Doucette, and as we do every Thursday, we're joined by a brand new guest talking about their life and their journey throughout the world of martial arts. My guest today is actually one of the most active investment property specialists in New York metro area. He's personally handled the sale of nearly 500 buildings and performed evaluations on several thousands. But of course, this isn't a real estate podcast. We're here to talk about martial arts. This gentleman, if you've followed Black Belt Magazine as long as I have, if you grew up with it in the 80s and 90s, you probably saw ads for his his books or videos in there. And he's written books. He's uh, produced countless training videos, which I was just talking before we started recording. I actually have two of them on VHS from the late 80s, even creating his own martial arts style over the years. Uh, Please welcome to the show, Mr. Marco Lala. How are you doing today, sir?
1: I'm doing great, thank you. I, I appreciate uh, the invite, and um, you know, it's, sometimes it's uh, it's always fun to hear yourself talk about yourself. I guess, right? Is that, <laughs> Definitely. Is it
0: all about? Well, a lot of people who, who work in like radio and stuff, like I started in radio when I was 15 back in '89, right. and a lot of, and a lot of people they hate hearing themselves, and for a long time, I. I was the same way. I hated listening to recordings myself. And then I started doing professional voiceover and I had to get used to editing oh, yeah. my own voice and talking and, and doing that stuff. So I got a lot more comfortable with it. And that's why I'm like, you know, I started doing a syndicated radio show. Then I started doing the podcasting and <laughs> get a lot more comfortable with it that way. <laughs>
1: Got a great voice. I've been listening to some of the podcasts. Oh, thank you.
0: Appreciate it. Well, then you probably know what we do. We want to, with all my guests, we jump back to the beginning. I want to know what was that first spark, that first interest that led you to to start at least looking into and getting involved in martial
1: arts. Well, I um, it's interesting. My my, my first love it was actually baseball. Believe it or not, I oh. mean, I was like seven, and eight, nine. I thought I was going to play at Yankee Stadium and. I, I was I was really uh, really good at uh, I was a pitcher I played shortstop I I, I did every position but you know it, it's funny the way the way it starts out is uh, you always play right field because uh, the coach has no idea what your what your skill level is I mean not that I'm just dis- I'm not disparaging right fielders but that was you know who you know who hit in right field when you're like six or seven or eight years old right, <laughs> right so, yep. so by the time I got into a league where you you pitched and it wasn't a T-ball or anything. Our team was getting our ass kicked and he went through the entire uh, roster and of pitchers. So I happened to like that week and and this kind of gets into like instructional videos and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. I, I, I had picked up a book on like baseball and how to hold the ball with your three fingers and et cetera, et cetera. So he waves me, and he's like he figures like I got nothing to lose. let's put Marco in there. I struck the sides out with ten pitches. I threw nine strikes, Wow, and we got our pitcher, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you can only do so many games a week like I want to like pitch like every game for the entire season yep. but um but uh but but then I, as I got older, I mean these guys, oh my goodness, it was like um you know when i when I got into. Um, just before I got into high school, I, I guess it was like the Babe Ruth League. I mean, these guys were monsters mm-hmm. and I, I was always a small kid and it was a little intimidating. And that was kind of like what led me to look into martial arts because I wanted to I started lifting and I wanted to get into shape and, you know, just be able to physically handle myself. Not so much for fighting or self-defense, but just because I was always a smaller kid, the smallest kid in the class, if not the second smallest And um, I I was intrigued by superheroes like Spider-Man. And then I watched like a martial arts demo on TV and I was like, holy cow. I think studying karate or martial arts is the closest thing a human can become superhuman, right? Because of Mm -hmm. the feats of the brain, you know, beating up multiple opponents and stuff like that. (laughs) So I I just got, that's how I got involved in, in the martial arts. I just wanted to like better myself physically and um you know i was always a uh, very, very uh, uh athletically oriented as, as a kid and uh that's how i got into my martial arts i started with kempo okay the local school american kempo i think it was an ed parker uh offshoot mm-hmm. um that was i was in the eighth grade and summer came, and I quit. And I felt weird going back to the same school. It was almost I have to I have to confess it almost felt like I uh, you know it was I, I I quit, and then to go back I didn't know I was going to lose face or whatever. So I joined a different school, oh. and it happened to be a Kyokushinkai organization. You know, the instructor was Japanese. He mm-hmm. slept at the do you know, He was sent from you know Japan. You know, as wow. they, they called him Uchideshi, right? Are you familiar with the phrase? Mm-hmm. Uchideshi he was an inside student. So a lot of these guys actually that was their ticket out of the country uh, these Uchideshi, they would live in the in the school in japan for like two years and then they're like all right you're gonna go open up a branch in chicago or new york or what have you this was in westchester so uh, that's how i got started in uh, kyoku Shinkai karate i was like i was 14 at the time so the rest is history thank god i still have my joints and limbs are so <laughs> So, what are some artists. things you
0: remember? I mean, you know, for the the time you spent in Kempo, and then and, and then joining a new style, what were some of the differences you noticed right away? Obviously, it's a very different style. Anyone who knows martial arts, what what are some of the things that first jumped out to you? And was there anything well, anything at fourteen? You're like, man, what am I getting myself into?
1: <laughs> I can tell you the one thing that I, looking back, because I, I didn't know any better at the time, the class structure that I thought in Kempo was, I think, much better designed. To improve quicker because they, their model was the complete opposite. In other words, you you paid for privates and then they had because uh, you know you had to go through that self defense curriculum, right? Mm-hmm. Every belt had like you know these are the twenty seven you know ways to get out of a front choke, or blah blah blah, the rear grab yep. and so forth. So you did literally if it wasn't a one on one, it was like a two you know one instructor with two students and you went through the curriculum religiously. And then you had a group class like two or three times a week where you would put pads on and spar, right? Mm -hmm. So the karate was the opposite. It was like, they just tried to get as many people crammed in there as possible. You did the down block, the up block, you walked up and down, you did the straight punches or whatever. And the sparring was just insane. I mean, we did, um, I always used to joke around in, in that back then the instructors there, you know, from coming from japan like one of their tests to come here was like they had to go through either like the, the 50 man kumite or the 100 man kumite
2: mm-hmm. so
1: that was just like when they taught if they had seven guys in class or or 37 guys like they would just line everybody up and just beat the crap out of everybody <laughs> wow and to the point where if they beat you up so that you wouldn't if you came back you deserve to stay but if you got beat up really bad and you stayed, they didn't care and and the way they did it it was interesting you lined up And then the first thing they would do was like let's say, you know, they went from belt rank. So you you the first guy fought the second guy, then the second guy, you know, the first two and then the next two. So you're like if you there was like fifty guys in class Mm you're watching like 25 matches of people like literally virtually crippling each other and you know who you're fighting. So you're standing there for like 20 minutes. They get oh man, you're, you're looking at the guy you're going to fight. I'm like, this is going to be us in a few minutes and good luck. <laughs> you know, wow. and, he, and then he would just cherry pick like, the like the best guys, like he created like internal challenge matches. And mm-hmm. then the third stage was all right. Every starting, he would just beat everybody up one at a time. It could be, I mean, I've seen an instructor like fight, Anywhere from 50 to 100 plus times, if it was at the headquarters, there would be like 200 people there. So I think there's value in both. But and I see that I see the model, too, in some of the uh, like the Brazilian jiu jitsu, the self-defense oriented mm-hmm. schools versus the sport oriented schools where the self-defense curriculum takes precedent. And I mean, I guess since I'm turning 56, I've become a lot more intrigued in that aspect of training. If it makes any sense, right. although I'm still rolling with guys like half my age and it's, it's brutal, you know, as a matter of fact, I'm going to use this podcast as an excuse not to do my no key submissions uh, tonight. <laughs> so I can walk tomorrow, uh, nice. you know, at work. <laughs>
0: okay. How long did you stay at that with that instructor at that school?
1: The tempo school or the karate school? The karate school. Well that was I mean I ended up getting my my second dan in Kyokushin so uh, I I was um I started at 14 I got my first dan at 17 and then I won the the uh the lightweight knockdown championship in 87 I was 21 at the time and it was kind of funny because if you think about it I was I got my first dan at 17 18 19 20 21 so after the tournament training for a while, I was like, wait a minute. How long have you been in black belt? All right, you're going to get your second dan. And it took like, I think, five years to get my second dan after that. Wow. And I became, a, I became a certified instructor in the Kyokushinkai organization. And um, my main instructor left the state. And I started training with, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Shigeru Oyama, uh, Soshu Oyama. He was a direct disciple of Masoyama. So I was training. They wanted me to take over a branch school when I was literally like, you know, 19, 20 years old. And I'm like, listen, now I'm going to train with Soshio Oyama at the headquarters in Manhattan. This was in Westchester. And um, I just basically uh, remained as a student there because I, I felt I was too young to take responsibility of an actual dojo in mm-hmm. the, the Kyokushin organization. It was kind of kind of crazy. You know, plus I was still in school, you know, trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. So uh, it was it was a, a, a solid 10 years plus, you know, and then I was slowly going back and forth. I did, you know, uh, up until like the very early nineties, 91, 92 ish. And then, uh, and then I opened up my own dojo for a while in Westchester. Uh, and then that's when I started immersing myself in, in, in judo and Brazilian jiu-jitsu.
0: Okay. And I definitely want to get into that too. But first first of all, what, what led to the competition? Is that something in that style? Is that just expected that you compete or is it something you wanted to do? Obviously, you were in baseball and stuff, so you, you already right. had the competition in you.
1: They, there's – I mean, obviously – we're in america right so there has to be some kind of mutual agreement to fight. <laughs> right you know as you know fight or you're going to get kicked out of the uh you know the uh, the organization it's not like the mob or anything although some people would argue with with you <laughs> with me about that but uh no it's just you know having been you know physically fit and and pursued it that seriously i mean i, I mean it, i was training I mean, aside from school, I mean, it wasn't any day that I wasn't training three, four, five, six. The weekends, each like Saturday and Sunday, was easily like eight to twelve hours each day. Because wow. what else was what else was I gonna do? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was a- almost anticipated uh, that uh, I competed. Plus, I I was teaching. It's funny, in the beginning, I ended up like within six months, I progressed so well because it was mostly memorization, right? All the techniques. So, uh, listen, why don't you help me with the kids' classes and we'll offset your uh, tuition. And I'm like, you know, I told my my parents that day. I mean, they they really didn't know it as much, but uh, they're like, oh, I guess that sounds great. Uh, <laughs> so I basically, after like six months, I don't think I ever paid for a martial arts lesson for like the next, I don't know how many, like, you know, ten or fifteen years. <laughs> nice. You know, okay. just taught the kids. But uh, but at back then it was not as regimented as it was i mean you know like now you know you got like these you know here's videos like here's a thousand games you can do with your kids the classes are shortened. it's a lot more psychological Mm -hmm. this and that the kids class was the same as the adults class that's why they would normally be bored out of their minds and uh that then i realized why the instructor was even willing to let me train for free if i took over the kids classes You know, it's like imagine, you know, it's not it's not, a. you know, like you got these 30, 45 minutes and then, you know, the, the attention span and then a new class and or new th- new type of training. This was like, you know, beginners, one hour, intermediate hour, number two, advanced hour, number three. And then the adults would start with the same schedule. So it was it was very, it was very intense. But uh, having, you know, taught. And training under uh, Oyama and Hiyoki, Sensei Hiyoki, my first instructor, who was a, a disciple of Soshu Oyama, you know, the master before he um, Hiyoki left... Really helped me, right? Isn't isn't there, you know, the philosophy of you know teaching what you are learning allows you to look at it a little differently and and absorb it a lot more carefully and uh, and really understand the subtleties. Trying to explain it verbally as well as physically and you know setting up curriculums and uh, things like that. It was um, uh, it was really uh, an amazing amazing you know, time of my martial arts uh, growth from that early on stage.
0: Nice. And you had talked about now, you mentioned a little earlier about, you know, bringing in new styles and working on the ground game. Now, when you, first of all, I want to know what led to that. And then at at the time you started doing that, were you already planning on potentially starting your own style or was that later down the road?
1: Well, it's remembering that we're going back. I almost hate to say it's like 30 some odd years, but i I did start uh, since I had the mail the mail order business I mean I wrote my first book it was 19 i was uh, it was 1980 I think it was 86 I wrote phenomenal endurance training which was a year before I won the knockdown tournament mm-hmm. and ironically I mean the idea that I wrote a book on endurance training i I, I always say that I kind of focused on what my weakness was and I tried to master it so I always Knew from fighting in class that no matter how great your skill level was, if you didn't have the the physical attributes, right, strength and particularly endurance, that was my first work was phenomenal endurance training, 86, 87. I wrote The Ultimate Weapon, which is more on conditioning like shins, knuckles, things of that nature. So because I was in the magazines and advertising inside Kung Fu, inside karate, karate, Kung Fu Illustrate, all those publications – you started seeing ads both for the um, Valley Tudo and the Gracie in action and all that stuff. And I'm like, you know what? To me, that just looked like a natural progression for a combat artist, right? If, right. I, if I wasn't trying to learn it, I got to learn how to defeat it, right? So, you know, uh, and, and I was already kind of doing that with Kung Fu and, uh, you know, Taekwondo and other arts so that you know then looking at the judo and the jiu-jitsu, even in my phenomenal endurance training which was 1986 i had pictures of me in there doing wrestling and my knockout any attacker tape which mm-hmm. was 90 1990 i think i uh, put that out it was 91 uh which was a uh, two years before the ufc there's grappling you know me like wrestling in my in my basement dojo in there so but then seeing it become more and more formalized uh, i started doing judo but I, I already had my club. So can you imagine I had I was selling my books and, and VHS tapes like off of a like a folding table, you know, in the, you know, in my kitchen. I had my own dojo. Mm-hmm. I'm going to judo class in Manhattan. I had my dojo in, in Westchester. I was like I was living the dream. You know, I was almost I was almost going broke, but I was living the dream because I was able to go to all these different dojos and train. But I got so obsessed with the with the judo. And, and I, interestingly enough, the judo club that I trained in um, Oishi Judo, he's still he's still around. Uh, Shiro Oishi, the guy the guy was a Greco Roman and freestyle wrestling champion. His brother was a head coach at Penn State's wrestling team. He was a judo champ A A U. That's where Hénzo Gracie and Greg Cookook actually started the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu in New York. Okay. So uh, I used to take uh, like the kids' class was like between an hour and two hours, and then I would take the two. Uh, adult classes and then uh, craig cook would come in and teach the brazilian jiu-jitsu so i used to sit and watch there and then after like six months he would come over to me like listen man you got to get you either got to sign up or get the f out of, get the hell out of the class I, <laughs> so i'm like this, i was like this is just like how helio gracie did it right he just watched uh, like for for a year and then he jumped right in right when his brother was sick or something you ever mm-hmm. hear the story oh, yeah. so it was i was it was just amazing the exposure there um, you know at the time and uh, so I stuck. So I was, and I used my karate dojo it was almost like a, a laboratory because a lot of my grappling tapes were filmed in there as I was systematizing all the groundwork from the judo, you know. And then, and uh, then I realized how the amazing stand up from judo. And uh, like if you look at some of my videos, I I did enter tournaments. That was kind of like a little later in my career. I wish I could have started earlier, but I got my brown belt. I think it was within eighteen months. And in a lot of judo tournaments, they just want the brown and black together. So I'm, I'm like, I have like 18 months of like formal grappling training and I'm fighting black belts. Some of these guys were like nationally ranked and stuff. So I, I, mean, I was able to pull off some throws, but most of my stuff was trying to get them down to the ground because mm-hmm. I knew they were a little weaker at that level. So, you know, there's always a strategy, uh, you know, session there and trying to figure everything out. And then when I moved to New Jersey, that's when I ended up. Uh, ironically the dojo that i was training out with here uh, edson carvalho he was a carlson gracie black belt one of the few very few that's on his list carlson gracie but he, his father was a judo teacher but he's doing this like five years old so i was just i thought i was in heaven I and mean, they used us There was the japanese terminology mm-hmm. right from the judo i'm like yep. holy shit this is brazilian jiu-jitsu judo with a formal format there's a lot of the the traditional brazilian only schools they they were always kind of known for a little bit more of a laid-back right approach in the, in their uh you know but even now you hear everybody using us and in uh, jujitsu, which is kind of uh, I, I think a more recent phenomenon actually but uh i've been doing that since i was a kid <laughs> it's a very important word oh yeah it's probably the important word in the martial arts in, in, in my humble opinion philosophy Nice. But I was getting, you know, I was I was getting into um, how I came out with the first video, right, just mm-hmm. before we started, and I was telling you that I, I came out with the book, Phenomenal Endurance Training, and then I had the Ultimate Weapon, which was published by an outside publishing company. But that's when I determined I'm never going to publish, uh, you know, I'm going to self-publish everything going forward. You know, on a run one morning, uh, coming back, I realized. Somebody had sent me a video of me winning the 1987 knockdown championship, you know, where I I knocked out. It was an elimination style like the original UFCs were like 15, 20 guys start. You just every time you win, you just keep advancing forward. So I just had an epiphany to put out a tape called how to knock out any attacker within seconds because I had four knockouts that day. So I was like, it was a great enough. Headline to sound like it was bullshit, right? Because you had you know, the Jim <laughs> yeah. Hawk stuff, right? Everybody was like, oh, you know, remember the quick kill knockouts or whatever? Oh, yeah. I could say, but live proof on video. So I'm like, okay, this is perfect. Because I never wanted to put anything out that somebody could challenge me as, as like exaggerating, you know, the the technique. This, you know what I'm saying? I didn't want to, yep. I didn't want to be guilty of that, so to speak. So I did a mailer and I always tell the story when I sent out the mailer for the video, Back then, I was competing. Like uh, Panther Productions was very prominent. So the way I tried to differentiate myself, my USP or unique selling proposition was that I was going to put more techniques on one video versus Panther, which you had to buy like the 25 tape set, mm-hmm. right, to get the, to get the blocking system and another 25. <laughs> For the kicks, yeah. So I, I put the whole thing on there, and um, I, I they were like fifty, sixty bucks, fifty nine ninety five. Like I sold like two hundred fifty, three hundred copies. That's how I paid for my wedding, <laughs>
2: 1991.
1: Wow, Very yeah. cool. And then somebody said, "Marco, you put too much information in there. So you got to You got to break it up a little bit." So, uh, but even then, like my phenomenal, uh, I'm sorry, the uh, like stretching one and two, mm-hmm. and uh, video encyclopedia, I and mean, yeah, neck manipulation one and two. I mean, all of those were just jam packed. Uh, with techniques one of the main reasons I did it I tried to create believe it or not I tried to create like a time capsule for myself like as I was training and documenting this stuff and then videotaping it monetizing it was important to me but at the same time I was like like I still go and look back on how I tried to systematize all those areas right low kicks uh blocking techniques standard kicking techniques uh, leg locks arm locks, choking techniques, you know, working from the guard inside the guard, top position and so forth and so on. So uh, those were always like like my, it was like I monetized my manuals, the, the sacred scrolls, right? <laughs>
0: nice, nice. So thinking back to like when you first started teaching to, to now where you're still you're still teaching, you're still doing, you know, videos and stuff, what do you think's changed about your teaching style over the years?
1: I'm not formally teaching. I mean, I, right now what I do now is uh, one of the top, instructors of the uh, of the uh, Edson Carvalho School, he just opened up a, a, a branch school right in my neighborhood. I can almost walk to the dojo. So I may assist here and there. But, you know, teaching is uh, teaching is, I think, a very, very, you know, full time dedicated endeavor. And right now, what I do is uh, my real estate brokerage is intense, but I am mostly I like I'd like to be the guy in the corner right now. That's just training. And then if I got to step in or something or go over some techniques and things of that nature. So I don't have like a full time teaching curriculum. I am a student, actually. <laughs> you, know okay, what I mean? okay. you know, I'm actually still a student of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. And uh, and then I do all my other training uh, on my own. I'm starting to accelerate, the you know, doing seminars. Uh, you know, look, I'll tell you what's interesting. I'm 50. I'm going to be 56 in September. My son is graduating college in May. He just got a, a tremendous uh, job offer at a very large real estate breed as a financial analyst. My uh, oldest daughter works for me and my brokerage team and my middle daughter works for Ernst & Young. She was at Goldman Sachs. I'm going to become a teenager again. <laughs> I'm like, it's all, it's done. It's on three colleges. Everybody's <laughs> set. I'm going to start playing again. You know what nice. I mean? Uh, oh, yeah. and so I'm getting my second wind all of a sudden. So uh, that that's what I'm looking forward to, and if that may include a, maybe some more a formal teaching regimen, that's yet to be seen. But um, mm-hmm. when I look at it now, is I'm tr- I'm starting to train as if uh, before I stopped growing up, if that makes any sense. So to
2: speak. definitely, yeah. no,
1: it's tough. You know, I did, I did I took a very big lateral move when I was almost 30, 29, 30. I got into real estate commercial sales. commission based, my kids tell me right now, dad, you're getting older, you're very conservative. I'm like, listen, you don't understand. I mortgaged the farm, you know, to get into commercial real estate. I used a line of credit on the, uh, on the family house, uh, you know, two, three years, hardly making any commissions, but I believed in myself and in that business. And I, and I just became very passionate about it. And, you know, I'm approaching almost 2 billion in sales over the last 20 some odd years, which is kind of, kind of crazy when you think about it. Oh, definitely. How do you think your
0: martial arts training helped with your real estate career?
1: I think everything I did was a precursor to my martial arts career. So here's one, uh, if I had to try to crystallize it uh, with a very simple example is it's not forget, you know, there's the discipline and, you know, uh, learning to take rejection and all that other stuff. But something like cold calling, like Mm, people are shocked that I still call. I I love to I love to make phone calls. I, I call people up. I, at one point I was doing it probably anywhere from between 150 to 300 dials a day at the height of, you know, of my uh, youthful career. Now I have clients that I've done, you know, nine figures worth of transactions with, you know, $100 million, $150 million. Mm-hmm. I just closed on a beautiful $14.2 million portfolio, two apartment buildings in the Bronx yesterday that just closed. I, I sold that buyer like 500 units over the last 15 years uh, of New York City properties. I always just, you know, people get nervous about making a phone call. So hey, you're going to think this is crazy. But I, the way I rationalize it was the guy can't hurt me because he's on he's on the phone. He, <laughs> otherwise, I'd have to take his ass, <laughs> right? It occurs. And so there's nothing this guy can do other than just like curse me out or hang up, right? So I'm like, so why should cold calling be so intimidating, mm-hmm. you know? And then you learn over the years, it's like martial arts. You work on scripts. You tighten it up. You change your like tonality. You know how to you know you become more natural on the phone just from your salutation and their response. You know, okay, I can break the ice with a with a joke, or this guy's like very analytical. I'm going to be serious. You know, sometimes you learn how to deal with gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. You know, because they're the most important. Right. You're never going to get to the decision maker unless, you know, unless you schmooze the, the gatekeeper a little bit. Right. So I looked at that as if I was training in my jujitsu class. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, and, and, and frankly, considerably more lucrative. You know, I, I it's. It's funny, I think except for, it was one of the UFC cards where they had, you know, how they tally up the earnings of, of everybody on the on the UFC cards. It's, yep. You know, I think if you just take out like the championship match, you know, like I'll close on an apartment building and, you know, the, the fees are more than the entire Roster of the last you know, of the of the other eight fights wow. <laughs> on the card.
0: That's so, crazy.
1: You know, so it, it helps if you know what I'm saying. You know, wow. it was. Uh, but now, like I said, it's going to come full circle again, and um I am so I'm I'm deep diving now into look you know, look look getting to into the the jujitsu briefly. You know, like barambolos and all that other stuff. I'm I'm having fun with that stuff. But sometimes I look at like I see white belts. Like trying to do like you know Delahevas and Barabola's. I'm like these guys have no clue, man. They're gonna get foot stomped <laughs> if they try to fight in the street. You know, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> definitely, you know, you have to hope that you know the instructor at some point can help you differentiate w- what's going to be practical, and then you know uh, pushing yourself in the class because a lot a lot of people do enjoy that. Uh, you know, it, it is it is a challenge because these guys, I mean, the stuff that they're learning now, it's just it's amazing. You know, and there's everything's in stage. Remember the worm guard with Keenan Cornelius? Worm guard with like, oh, all worm guard, worm guard, worm. Yeah, and, you know, then is the De La Hiva, then the reverse De La Hiva. I joke around that there's a guard for every letter in the alphabet, right? You know, a <laughs> b c d e f g. So, uh, but it's cool. You, you got it. You have to. That to me though is the essence of, of of martial arts and how deep it is. You know, like when when I started learning karate, like I always wanted to. I didn't do it precisely because I thought I was going to get beat up every day. But isn't that like the idea, like you learn self-defense if somebody has you choked over a hood of a car, right? Or somebody puts you in a headlock or what have you. But then if you look at a lot of like the traditional karate schools, you're stuck on kata, point fighting, and you're doing the same blocks, punches, and kicks, Where's the self defense? That's where I said, like, the, like, that's what I liked about the tempo. And then I started thinking, wow, if you can train hardcore like a Muay Thai fighter, but add in the technical aspects of self defense. Then you could say, like, you know, what do the self-defense guys say about the sport guys? And what do the sport guys say about the self-defense guys? Like, right? oh, you'll never last in the ring. And then and then the, the self-defense guy says, Yeah, but I can poke your eye out, right? <laughs> or rip your throat out. Yep. And I'm like, but you need that, the sporting aspect of it, if you want to make those uh, eye popping, you know, throat ripping techniques actually work <laughs> in a situation. Exactly. So- I'm slightly obsessed with the martial arts,
0: but <laughs> hey, there's, there's worse things you could be obsessed about. So that's, good. yeah, that's, that's right. Good. <laughs> that's... <laughs> so what, what led to the, to the decision then to start your own style? Was it just, did it just happen because of all the training you did in multiple styles and it was just a natural progression?
1: Yeah. I mean, look, I do have my style. I call it tetsubushi jitsu, Jitsu with
0: mm-hmm.
1: more of a philosophy like iron warrior. Okay. Iron Warrior Art, right? Tetsubushi Jitsu, uh, you know, Tetsubushi Do is way. I used Art, you know, just because I wanted to sound like Brazilian Jiu Jitsu or 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 Japanese Jiu Jitsu, right? But to me, that was like um, a a Musashi type of, not masterless Ronin Musashi, but I wanted to. I looked at, and and again, there there was some methodology to it, but you know, there was the the Kyokushinkai Karate and the striking. Which has a lot of influence from Muay Thai and then I added Western boxing because of the hands, you know, the, the mid training and stuff like that. And then if you read about the early, very early Kyokushin days when uh, Thailand issued a challenge to Japan and, and Oyama was the only one that responded and sent like three guys there, four guys to Thailand, but it was funny. They had a they had a camp where they had to bring in like a boxing guy. They learn a little bit of Muay Thai, but because they were so hardcore, it was natural for them. Do you understand what I mean? In terms of uh, yep. so you had you know the Western boxing, Muay Thai, Kyokushin, and then the judo. Because you know you hear a lot of these guys, whether it be like high level Taekwondo masters or karate masters, like they'll always say, "Oh yeah, I have uh, you know I have a third degree in judo, and uh, I got a." Uh, a fifth degree in iado, you know, sword fighting. And, but I'm teaching karate. I'm like, okay, but you know, why, why aren't you adding like judo and, and, and the sword fight? You know, like, let's, let let's, let, let's see, you know, what the extent of the breadth of knowledge. So by having the, the, the karate, the judo and jitsu, the bushiji-jitsu is my expression, right? Of, mm-hmm. of almost 40, like my lifetime of training. And I have, I formalized, it's funny if I I can go back to stacks of notes where I created a belt system and I had all the techniques in there, you know, you know, with the the appropriate colored paper, copy paper for each belt with the (laughs) system. But I, I, you know, I I just didn't go that route and open up a a full-time dojo and pursue that. Okay. Uh, I I did have a full-time dojo. Right. But what I'm saying, I didn't continue as that, as a career path, you understand, uh, in terms of the teaching. Definitely. Uh, but coming back, it's like, I, you know, now I know I, would, I, would, I wish I was a little younger and my joints work a little better. But, you know, what I have now, if I if I were to do it again, I would know exactly what I had to do. And, uh, you know, between the sport and the self-defense and, you know, working, uh, trying to get, you know, the families in there, because it's it's a tough business. I see. It. I see it all the time. And and what you're always grappling with is, you um, the commercialization versus maintaining like the true Budo, like that's always been, you know, I think what a lot of instructors grapple with. Um, so, uh, I, I, think, uh, finding that ultimate blend is really, uh, is really what you need to do. I think for, a, a fruitful, uh, organization, you know, or operation.
0: Agreed. So what advice would you give someone who, who contacted you and they're thinking getting involved in martial arts, they've never done it before in their lives and they just want to know like right. one or two tips, what to look for, and maybe something to avoid.
1: Uh, the first thing I would do is have them go to my website and uh, order and download all my... No, I'm just <laughs> Download all my martial arts training. But it's tough. You know, first of all, you, you okay, so how old are you, right? What mm-hmm. are your uh, objectives? Uh, how much time do you have to devote to it? And it's hard to cherry pick a system. Like people tell me this all the time, especially parents that, you know, because they see what I've done and they're like, oh, I would love my kid to get focused or disciplined in something like that and maybe one day become... Successful? Do you recommend a school? And I I always say, listen, you got to just like somebody asked me for a a mortgage referral or or whatever. You got to go to at least three or four different dojos. And if you walk into, look, if you let's say you're like 45 years old, I'm not saying Muay Thai you you couldn't do it, but if you walk into a a dojo and you and you see a bunch of guys basically just doing rounds and rounds of all-out leg kicks and knee kicks (laughs) and head punches, I don't know if that that's the right move for you. Right. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, even like I would always recommend if you can find a good judo school. But you know what? A good judo school, you got the, the throwing. You know, if they don't if they don't focus carefully on the uh, the break falls and how to fall properly. I mean, I know like even though my dojo is a, a judo and Brazilian jiu-jitsu, so I have I have I have formal black belts in judo and in jiu-jitsu besides Kyokushin judo. Kicks my ass a hundred times more than the, than the Brazilian jiu jitsu. You know, you, I mean, at least I'm on the ground already. Right. <laughs> I'll get hurt already on the floor. You know what I mean? <laughs> when grappling, so you know, going airborne and then hitting the ground and getting hurt—that's a different story. But you know, at least Definitely. I eliminate the airborne part. I'm getting hurt on the ground. You know, but uh, but I, I think you need to find, and and this is this is difficult. I think you need to find a traditional school that has a open-mindedness. Okay, that's, to me, that was, like, also what Tetsubushi is, you know, you know the uh, Iron Warrior art. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's a, it's eclectic. Like, I, I don't know, like, you know, I look at, like, Jeet Kune Do, for example. Like, I don't know as much about like Bruce Lee's formal background, you know, with Yip Man and, uh, you know, where, you know, they said he boxed a little, he, had, I don't know what rank he had in Wing Chun. I guess it was, the, you know, it was not up there, it was an advanced rank or anything like that. Right. But when you look at the second, third, fourth generation, to me, it looks like it's like almost like Krav Maga, you know, I think if you're just trying to do a mishmash of everything, I don't think you're going to get it. What, I, what the guys that I've seen successful in those arts, like the Krav Maga and the, and the Jeet Kundo, Do, are the guys that had a, a, a traditional foundation. And then expanded their knowledge. Does, does that make sense? As oh, perfect sense. This, yes. So yes. uh, this guy did three months of this, and I got a certificate because I went to a seminar. and Now I know everything about knife fighting. And then I went to this guy's school for two months, and I got some you know bullshit certificate about uh, you know uh, you know uh, self defense uh, you know against <laughs> guns and knives. And you know I, I don't know. Like I hype it up a lot in my material because I, I I'm proud of the fact that I I went through three. Traditional arts that did emphasize that did have a sporting side to it, right? With mm-hmm. judo, uh, kyokushinkai with the knockdown fighting, the judo with the randori and the jiu with the uh, with the groundwork. That's a difficult thing to find, you know. A nice traditional base with open-minded, uh, you know, training with some pressure testing. If that makes any sense, you got to have you got to have the pressure testing in the in the dojo. Definitely
0: great answer. I like that. So what are your thoughts on MMA and the UFC? I know you've you've mentioned it a few times. Are you a fan?
1: I think that the UFC and MMA was probably one of the greatest things that ever happened to the martial arts in the world. Nice. I really do. When I I had my dojo, my dojo was already open. If I told you the first UFC, November of 1993, I had about 10, 11 people in my living room in a co-op that I was renting. And popcorn a whole i mean the, just you know we're all sitting on the floor the first fight comes out right the uh gourdot with the with the sumo guy and the guy's tooth gets knocked out Yeah, i was in heaven i'm like holy shit if you had 20 30 years of martial arts experience you walked in there and you just got your tooth knocked out of your head I'm like you just wasted your whole life i was like thank god i saw this now <laughs> <laughs> does that make any sense or no well, that makes perfect now, sense yes I, yes I didn't just quit everything
2: right. because
1: of that but that was like I was already fighting. I did. I fought knockdown. I mean, I've seen guys get tracheotomies in in, in the knockdown tournament with mm-hmm. Kyokushinkai. So I did. I I wasn't a stranger to you know broken ribs and like I said, a guy getting punched in the throat and stuff. I mean, although that was illegal, you got to stay below the, the throat. Right. But it happens. But to see that and then the formality of chaos, which was like what what, what I think jujitsu was trying to explain, plus debunking the mysticism of just having a black belt, to me I thought was the greatest thing that, that could happen to the martial arts. It just sifted the bullshit from the from reality. I I I don't know how anybody could argue that. You understand? I mean, you Mm -hmm. can sit here and talk all day you know, the spirit, you're right I mean, would I go to one of these like typical toothless MMA guys and ask them for spiritual advice? Probably not, (laughs) okay, but you know, uh, you might be able to kick your ass though you gotta be ready for that, you know uh, not trying to stereotype every MMA, but you know, some of these guys are you know, they just, you know, they're not focused, they might have a two or three year stint, but because they're missing probably the most important component of martial arts, they end up Becoming failures, if that makes any sense. I mean, mm-hmm. you gotta, you know. I, I really think it's definitely, you know. I I think you could argue that like like george St. Pierre like was was the epitome of his traditional foundation training and yes. and being level headed and excelling as far as he did. You know what I mean? That's something to be admired. I think, uh, you know, in MMA you can't poo poo MMA or, or No Holds Bart even because of, you know of a few bad apples, you understand right. what I'm saying? Oh, perfectly. I think if you ask any legitimate master, you know, there's a point in time in your age and your progression of martial arts where you have to be tested physically. Mm-hmm. It, it, otherwise, you, you're you're fooling yourself. Great answer. I love that.
0: I love that. All right. So, who would you put on your personal martial arts Mount Rushmore? Oh boy, and it now, do- doesn't have to be four, but if there's you know a couple, two, three, four that you you could think of that just for you personally, wow, are just uh, up there.
1: I I think I mean. Obviously, I believe Masoyama is uh, is is up there. Yes. I think Kano Kano probably uh, Jigoro Kano has mm-hmm. to be there 100. Uh, percent I mean, I, I'm I am somewhat biased only from a knowledge base of the of the Japanese arts. I mean, they, I'm sure there's like a Filipino who could be representative, you right. know, of uh, of a Mount Rushmore designation. You understand yeah, what I'm saying? But it's for, your per, uh, your
0: personal choices, though. So.
1: I think I think Kano. Maeda might be up there, uh, Masoyama. Uh, I think those are. I think those are three guys that um, you know could be uh, considered for that uh, designation. I um, I believe yes.
0: It's three three and, great and, answers.
1: Yeah, and and I would I would add. I mean nobody would know him, right? You know because mm-hmm. he he's he's like teaching in a school in like in the middle of Arizona somewhere with like no patches on a deer or whatever. And everything. that would be my my original sensei Hioki who was probably one of the most dedicated martial artists that I've seen in my entire life. My first Kyokushinkai instructor, I would have to, I would, I would have to say that he would, he would be up there. Yeah. I mean, he basically was like my second father, you know, when, uh, okay. when I started training 14, you know, uh, 14 to 17.
0: Cool. So in all your years of martial arts, is there one philosophy you've learned that rises to the top? That's just really special to you. You keep coming
1: back to. Yeah, there's no question about it, and, and, I, and I've mentioned this before in, uh, in interviews, and I, and I live and die by it, and I made my children live and die by it. I remember when, you know, when my, my kids were small, I, I created an acronym, P-R-A-D, PRAD, okay. which is, to me, the four-word definition of US, which is patience, respect, appreciation, and discipline. That, to me, is the answer to any problem that you have in life, any problem. You you have to, you know, and that's in any endeavor, whether it be, uh, you know, business, um, economic, personal relationships or whatever, to have the patience. And, you know, I can I can get cute now. Like I put patience and then discipline as the uh, as the book ends there, because Mm -hmm. people say motivation. But. Motivation can be short lived. You have to be disciplined to do some things that you don't like to do, or you may not be motivated to do. Right? That's like a whole Jocko yep, thing. Definitely. So that was to me when when somebody when I, when I used to say what is you know mostly oh, everybody says oh that means hello that means goodbyes like a you know aloha right or something like well I'm like <laughs> it's, you know it's like no it's it's so much deeper than that. It's a philosophy that uh, that I uh, I will take to my grave, uh, frankly, and I I think so far. From what i've seen as a result of of my children you know and i, and I was and i'm blessed in that regard the uh spirit of us you, if you google that you'll see trump like ton of articles on it the spirit of us patience respect appreciation and discipline to me that is uh, that overrides any any challenge in the that that a human can face you know all humanity great answer
0: All right. These last few, these are some fun ones. This one, you can't pick one of yours. What is your favorite martial arts book?
1: One of my favorite martial arts book. I did actually enjoy uh, the towel of G Kundo. I remember when I got that, I saw that in in a bookstore. I jumped on it right away, you know, seeing the hand drawn illustrations and everything. I was like, Oh, you know what? This is, this is somebody who Bruce Lee was not chained to a style. And you know what? That, I think was something that, and it might've been inadvertent or subconsciously, but like the the fact that I was a I I could go from Kyokushin to Judo and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu was specifically because I didn't have, I wasn't chained. Like I didn't have to live and die by saying, oh, my system's the best and there's no other answer to it. And if there is something, uh, I, I didn't look deep enough or hard enough in, in my own system. You understand what I'm saying? Right. That's, yeah. that's yep. the towel of Jeet Kune Do, just because I saw the way, you know, that he tried to break down, you know, uh, like the grappling and, and, you know, boxing and all these different arts. He he was trying to blend into like a systematic way, I thought was uh, was very influential to me. Plus, I said, I can do that too. <laughs> <laughs>
0: there you go. Nice, nice. Now, this one, you might not have an answer for depending. I know you kind of grew up in the, the 80s uh, too. So, did you have a favorite martial arts video game? Were you ever a gamer?
1: Not really. You know, the, I'll tell you the, I, I got like, I remember getting the first Atari, you know, I don't know if you remember that. Oh yeah, 2,600, yep. You know, it had, the, it had the little stick there and just the thing went back and forth.
0: Mm-hmm. But I will
1: tell you, I was very intrigued by the arcade games and anything that had to do with cars. Okay. I just felt like, you know, putting the pedal to the metal and nice. uh, knowing that if I crashed, I, I, I wouldn't get in trouble because it was just a <laughs> video game. So, uh, but I, but not so much the martial arts uh, video games. I was too busy training it. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> I mean, oh, that's good.
0: That's good. All right. How about a favorite martial arts TV show?
1: favorite martial arts you know i i did i i did used to get into uh uh david carradine Uh, kung fu Uh, okay yeah kung fu was something that it was it was so strange Mm -hmm. (laughs) you you would just get hooked to it like you know and and you all of those martial arts shows of that genre like you would watch a one hour show to see like two and a half minutes of fighting. It was like it's, <laughs> yep. You know, why didn't you just, just do like a half hour of fight scenes? But, uh, but you, you would watch the whole thing, just waiting for somebody to fight, <laughs> you know, but uh, that was, uh, that was something that I enjoyed.
0: Nice. All right. How about a favorite martial arts movie?
1: Uh, favorite martial arts movie. Those are, those are good. I, I, I liked, Jeez, um, I remember his name. I, I forgot what his name was. Kill or be killed. Who was the guy that, uh, that, uh, then there, there was uh, Kill or be killed. I'm trying to remember who the actor was in that. It was pretty cool. It was one of the first movies I saw where there was a scene where the guy went in to, to meet this high level instructor, and the first thing he said was son." I think that was the first time I actually I actually heard that on a TV in a in a movie okay. uh, in a movie theater. Uh, are you familiar with that show? You got you should look it up. Kill or be killed. It was kind of kind of what kind of uh, interesting uh, yeah, martial arts movie. That's that's what I liked. Yeah, one doesn't uh, ring I a bell. I I'll have like to perfect, look it up. <laughs> I, I like perfect weapon too. I thought that, was, yep. I thought that was, you know, uh, Jeff Speakman that, that almost got me back to like my, uh, tempo, <laughs> uh, days. <was> uh, <laughs>
0: yeah. I just, I just interviewed Jeff a few weeks ago. So that's, uh, that's the, re- oh, was, it that,
1: I, was it that recently? I did see the, I did see it on the, yep, uh, on I think the it was box. like
0: three or three or four episodes ago, but yeah, that yeah. was, he, that, that movie's the reason I moved to California in 96 to learn American Kempo. So, oh, okay.
1: <laughs> yeah, reading so, about that. Yeah, nice. Yeah, nice. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's intense. I mean, you and you could see that he had. I mean, he definitely when guys get into like a lot of that intricate stuff, you always wonder if that could like really work. And he, I think he actually was able to demonstrate that the uh, that I can tell from the movement that it was uh, the guy was definitely high level man, without a doubt.
0: No, I agree, definitely one hundred percent. All right. Final question. Now, this one doesn't have to be a martial arts movie, but do you just, in, in any movie, do you have a favorite movie fight scene? Do you think they're just a fight scene that just you love watching I, over and I, over?
1: Oh, uh, you got it. That's, that's a tough one because um, <laughs> obviously there's always like the Mel Gibson, right? the from Ultimate, uh, you know. Uh, oh, the, Lethal uh, Weapon. Yep. Lethal Weapon. I was going to say Ultimate Weapon. That was <laughs> the name of my book. That one was pretty cool, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to think. um, that was a good fight scene that wasn't a martial arts movie um and it
0: can be a martial I, it just doesn't have to be a martial arts movie <laughs> to,
1: yeah, i i um jeez as you can probably tell i mean i haven't been uh you know it, 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 I'll, I'll tell you I, i'm i'm going like way back into like the mental you know attic here i remember watching a movie it was called penitentiary I think and it had like a boxing it was like a boxing thing where okay. these guys like Box to get Yeah, I like stuff like that, like prison movies where the guys, are, you know, like boxing and stuff. Yep. that stuff. You know, that was uh, that that stuff. That's the I think it was called Penitentiary, if I'm not mistaken. The movie okay. with the I'll have to look Yeah, they way. had like a tournament, right, with all the uh, the yeah. inmates stuff in there. Yeah, I'll yeah. have
0: to I'll have to look that one up. That one I've never heard of either. So.
1: Nice, you kill nice. or be killed, and in uh, penitentiary. Now you got a little homework assignment. Now to check out. Yeah, hey, <laughs> that's the
0: stuff I like doing homework on. So cool, cool. Yeah. Well, I just, I just want to say thank you, Matt. I appreciate your time. This has been so much fun. I will put links for anything you want me to for your for your website and any other uh, stuff you want me to put on there on the show notes. And I just, I just perfect. truly appreciate this so much.
1: Thank you. I had a lot of fun. It was, uh, it was very nice. Thanks. Anything you need, or if you have any other questions, you have my number. Just reach out to me. It was very, it was a pleasure.